What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is Thursday, January 20th here. It is Friday for Olivia, but it doesn't really matter that's Friday because she's on vacation. <laughs> the Finally. vacation queen is back. <laughs> we got our Christmas disaster vacation redo right now. We're only away for a few days, but we made it. Everyone's well for now. It's all, you know, it's all been nice to finally get away for a few days after our Christmas disaster. Yeah. <sighs> Jealous. Yeah. So I'm recording in a new little spot today, which is nice and something different. Sounds good. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> um, nothing exciting with me. Not mm. on vacation. Just suffered through a miserable day of work mm. as usual. And it's snowy and gross out, so... It's actually been a little bit cooler here the last few days that we were just commenting yesterday about how nice it is that it's not hasn't been 97% humidity. I think we're down at about 78% or something at the moment. So it's a little yeah. bit less sticky and revolting for now. Yeah. It's funny because um, in our last episode, we were talking about the weather and like the temperature and stuff. And I said as a joke, like, let me know the temperature where you live. And then I was like, just kidding. <laughs> and a bunch of you listeners did let me know and I, you know i love the weather so it's always interesting to me to hear weather in other places i know one of our listeners did message us and said how it was like 25 degrees in texas which is kind of crazy it's very that's very cold for the south texas, yeah but yeah i love the weather so i was entertained by all of you <laughs> funny random story before we start not that anyone cares but in college, I had to take a science, and I'm not very good at science, but I was like, oh my god, I love the weather, so I took meteorology, thinking like I'd be interested in it. It was so fucking hard that I failed. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally all equations in like math. It's crazy. The only subject I ever failed at university was maths, or a math one too. It was Asian-Australian economic relations. <laughs> That's math? Uh, well, not math, but you know, economics, oh. um, you know. You know, not math, but some type of obviously why I failed because I can't even describe it. <laughs> yeah. Some horrible, horribly hard subject. <laughs> I failed I failed gym a semester in high school. <laughs> so it's very telling. It was just because I didn't go. Yeah. Because I was a senior. I was cool. And it was like my first period. So I was like, fuck this. <laughs> no way. That's a good one to skip. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, those are your random facts of the week about us. <laughs> going to be a long one today i think we've got a long episode planned a big one yeah so we're just gonna try to get right into it speaking of school like we just were this one is going to be about the oxford high school shooting in michigan which a lot of you probably heard of because made pretty big news with the crumbly family ethan crumbly was the 15 year old shooter and both of his parents were also arrested which was like a first That's time true. to ever happen thing so it's big news interesting because you know they provided him with a gun and seems like they may have ignored some red flags and the prosecutor feels that they're also partially to blame for the deaths of these students and for the shooting today at yet another school students teachers and parents terrified and scrambling after shots fired on campus. This time at Oxford High School, some 40 miles north of Detroit. 
This video showing students in the classroom running for their lives. Local TV stations breaking into programming. We're now looking at, oh, at least eight law enforcement officers with long guns who are entering the school. Three students killed, eight others shot, including a teacher. Student John Edwards describing the chaos to our affiliate WXYZ. Then with PA, we hear our principal, Mr. Wolf, is shouting, Alice Lockdown, Alice Lockdown. And then we hear gunshots in the class. And so we locked down, turned the lights off. Our teacher got paper, taped over the window on the door, and got his two big tables and barricaded the door. I was just scared. I was uh, praying for, you know, my safety, my friend's safety, you know, everyone's safety. Edwards able to call his mother. I could hear the fear in his voice. And I told him, I said, baby, I'm on my way. I've never been so scared in my life. Like we said, this happened pretty recently. On November 30th, 2021, students of Oxford High School got ready for what they thought would be a normal day. The school's located in Oakland County and has a population of 3,436, according to the 2010 census. Students who attend the high school are from like multiple neighboring towns. They're probably small towns that wouldn't each have their own high school. So different towns go to one high school, it seems, which puts the enrollment at about 1,600 students. Um, the high school was renovated and expanded in 2003-2004. So back to November 30th, the day of the shooting. 15-year-old Ethan Crumbly was a student at Oxford High School, and around 12.45 p.m. he left class to go use the bathroom, so he said. He can be seen on CCTV around 12.51 p.m. entering the bathroom while carrying a backpack, and he emerges a few minutes later with no backpack, but this time he is carrying a semi-automatic weapon. The following info that we're going to go through comes from CNN. Ethan then allegedly began to methodically and deliberately walk the hallways and aim a gun at students and fire the weapon. When students began to run away, the accused allegedly continued to go down the hallway at a methodical pace and shot inside classrooms and at students who hadn't escaped. Xander Cumbie, who was a student at the school, or is a student at the school, said, My teacher, he walked into the classroom, he locked the door and told us to call 911, and then we heard the rest of the gunshots go off and more screams. An announcement was made over the intercom announcing that there was an active shooter on campus. I think they had like a code word for it, which. I, I heard one of the students talking about it in a video and, like, what the code word was for, like, active shooter lockdown. And it makes me wonder, like, why do we have code words for that? Because I feel like if the active Always. shooter hears a code word over the intercom, they're going to know what it is. I feel like it's um a little bit different maybe for high schools because a lot of the time it's a student at the school. So there's no real point in having a code word. But, like, at my kids' school, they're in primary school, which is little, like, littler kids, and they have a song. Yeah. So when the song plays, because essentially, sneaky. yeah, it's probably going to be an adult who's coming into their school because kids generally who are 12 and under probably don't have a gun. But um, yeah, so they play a song. So the kids know when that happens, there's something going on and they need to do their whole lockdown, you know, scenario. I don't remember what the like word, maybe it was just like active lockdown. So maybe that's not really a code or it was something like one word and then lockdown. So not very discreet, but... Yeah, I feel like anyone who's in there with a gun is going to know something's going on if it just all of anything comes over the loudspeaker. <laughs> yeah. <really> strange. <laughs> I guess you've got to let them know somehow, though. Yeah. Okay, so obviously I didn't say in the beginning, um, 
this is a true crime podcast, so obviously we're talking about death and scary things a lot, but sometimes I feel like maybe we should put trigger wording on some things. I don't know. I don't know if that's me being just like trying to appease everyone, but this does go into not overly graphic details, but if like I'm one of the people who actually finds like mass shootings very upsetting. Like I always tear up when I see like videos of from the inside and stuff, even though I find them very fascinating. But anyways, if this is a topic that upsets you, maybe skip ahead a bit. If you just want to hear more about the after facts, maybe skip ahead like 20 minutes. Is that fair? Yeah. Like I said, it's not overly graphic, but I get why it would be upsetting to some people if you want to skip. Okay. One student who hid in the bathroom stall recalled hearing the sound of a gun cocking outside the bathroom. Once the school was secured, he opened the bathroom door and found several bodies laying on the floor. The entire rampage only lasted from like four to five minutes before Ethan walked into another bathroom. Police sped to the scene at 12.52 p.m., which was only one minute after the shooting started. They arrived very quickly. When they got to the scene, Ethan put his gun down and surrendered. Even though the attack was over fairly quickly, there are so many accounts from terrified students who said it felt like hours. And I mean, if you think about it, five minutes, like if you're just staring at a clock, is a long time to be in fear. Aiden Page, a senior at Oxford High School, described a terrifying scene in his classroom. They said, we heard two gunshots and after that, my teacher ran into the room, locked it. We barricaded and then we covered the windows and hid. He also said, we grabbed calculators, we grabbed scissors just in case the shooter got in and we had to attack them. He said, describing how the shooter was so close that a bullet pierced one of the desks that he and other students used to block the door. Makes me so sad. They're going to defend themselves with fucking calculators. Scissors, yeah. One student who called 911 was so close to where the rampage was taking place, all he could whisper into the phone was Oxford High School shooter. He couldn't say anything else to avoid being heard. 911 dispatchers received more than 100 calls in a five-minute period following the initial shooting. Ethan was arrested in two minutes of officers arriving on the scene. Before he was arrested, he managed to fire at least 30 shots. Three people had died at the time and many more were injured. Ethan allegedly still had seven rounds of ammunition loaded into his gun and two 15-round magazines when he was stopped by the deputies. School officials left reeling. Of course I'm shocked. It's devastating. The suspected shooter, a 15-year-old sophomore at the school, allegedly armed with a semi-automatic handgun. He fired multiple shots. We're thinking, you know, 15 to 20 shots that were fired. Treshawn Bryan telling a reporter he was worried something would happen at school today, so he says he stayed home. You had been hearing that there was going to be a possible shooting at the high school? Yes, I did. I heard it multiple times. An emotional Governor Whitmer on the scene late today. I think this is every parent's worst nightmare. So this shooting is the deadliest on a K-12 campus in the U.S. since 2018. I think obviously for the pandemic, not a lot of kids were in school and we had a, a nice lull in school shootings because no one was actually in school. And I even remember when people went back to school, everyone was kind of, I say like joking, but like being like, well, when are the school shootings going to start again? Yeah. And they did. On social media, there was no word straight away about who the shooter was. There were lots of online rumors as usual, most of which were wrong as usual. (laughs) We did start seeing some information later that night about a teen named Ethan Crumbly and that he may be involved, and obviously that turned out to be correct. So a little info about Ethan. He lived in Oxford with his mother Jennifer and his father James. He seemed to have a fairly normal childhood from the outside. He has a half-brother who lives in Florida and never really got into much trouble until 2021. His brother, Eli, spoke to the media and said, 
The Ethan I knew was just a smart boy who just seemed like an average kid. There was nothing that ever stood out to me. He never got suspended from school or detention. He didn't suffer depression or anything like that. He woke up happy, went to school, came home and played games. Ethan and Eli have the same father. Um, Jennifer Crumbly's Ethan's mother, but not Eli's, and James's second wife. In the same interview, Eli said he moved from Michigan to Florida last March, and he said it mostly had to do with the relationship between my stepmother and I. He wouldn't elaborate other than to say it wasn't as great as it could be. Moving back to Florida was the best option for me. So that makes you wonder a little bit about what the family dynamic was like that he wanted to move to a completely different state. Get away from them. Yeah. Get away from the stepmother anyway. Eli said he had not spoken to his father, Ethan, for two months before the shooting occurred. He said, I didn't know he had a gun till after this happened. It's still hard to believe. I can't believe it. As far as I knew, Ethan was always good. He was just quiet, kept to himself, kept his circle of friends small. He was a clean kid, didn't smoke or do drugs, nothing. And he got good grades. He wanted to be an archaeologist. When I was living there, nothing seemed off. We'd just walk to the bus stop in the morning, go to school, come home, maybe play some football outside or basketball. We'd just chill. Wouldn't do much. We're learning more about James and Jennifer Crumley from a woman who has an 18-year-old son with him. Michelle Cobb says he left them strapped for cash and struggling to make ends meet. He's a piece of shit. He really is. The whole time of my son growing my son is 18 years old now. And you know, I cried the moment he turned 18 because I thought all of this hell is over as far as dealing with my son's father. And the father of her 18-year-old son, Eli, is James Crumley. James is also Ethan's father. And Michelle Cobb says it was Jennifer Crumley who made her son's life unbearable when he would visit his dad and half-brother, Ethan. She says it was Jennifer who ran the show. Jennifer was a monster. She could do no wrong, and she was right about everything. They pretty much gave him whatever he wanted. Cobb says while James and Jennifer gave Ethan whatever he wanted. It was a hopeless struggle to get James to pay even $67 a week in child support when he was making six figures. My son is six foot three and 240 pounds. Do you know how much $67 a week pays? More than ever, she's thankful Eli left the Crumley's Oxford home right before the start of the pandemic. And Eli says he never even saw any guns when he was here. The first thing that came to my mind when all of this happened was how thankful that I was that my son was not there. Ethan was on the bowling and soccer teams in middle school, but didn't play any sports in high school. Eli said his brother's biggest hobby was video games, which he'd play at night. His favorite was Minecraft. Eli was asked whether he knew of any other problems Ethan was experiencing, and Eli noted that he had an aunt who died a couple months ago and that Ethan recently also lost his pet dog, Tank. And he said, I really don't know what his reasoning was behind this. As a note, following the shootings, there were a lot of fake online profiles that popped up, which I feel like is another as usual. Many made fake confessions and the motive for the shooting said that it was bullying. Police have since said there's no record of Ethan ever being bullied. But I mean, who's really to say? I know that yeah. I was watching some videos today before we recorded and there were some students saying that they know he was bullied. So. He looks like, you know, obviously you can't judge a book by its cover, but he seems like he was probably short and he wore glasses and he was maybe a little bit chubby. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he was bullied. And he seems like he was a bit of a loner, you know, who didn't 
didn't have the team sport, you know, the teams around him and different things like that. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if there was some bullying going on for him. But, um, yeah, I mean, everything that's come out since, like, the shooting happened, obviously, once you find, start finding out more information about the shooter and their life and what they did, what they were like, um, he does seem like someone who would be bullied. I mean, he might not have been, but... Because there's no record of it. Like, there might not be anything on public school record or anything like that. But, yeah, I have no doubt that he probably was teased and bullied at some point based on just his strange... He was strange. Like, we'll go into it soon, but he was a strange kid, so... Yeah, he clearly had some sort of mental illness and was just a little different than other kids. And not that it's right, but we all know how kids are. are, Like, if someone's a little different, they get bullied. I mean, I was bullied. Like, I'm not being, like a bitch like i don't know anyone and the other thing is i also don't know many people who weren't bullied even the bullies are bullied which is part of why they do it so yeah everyone gets bullied i was bullied like when i was a senior in high school i know that's like old to be bullied but just mean girl shit i was bullied so badly when i was a senior in high school but actually no i was gonna say i don't think my school would have a record of it but there was one incident where the school resource officer had to be involved but otherwise they like they wouldn't generally know if someone's being bullied unless it got to that point especially for kids his age like I think older kids generally tend to deal with it themselves until it gets absolutely out of hand and then that's when someone steps in and there might be a record of it obviously exceptions but I think generally older kids tend to deal with it within themselves before they turn to anyone else yeah so while Ethan seemed to have a normal-ish upbringing neighbors have since come forward and spoken about their encounters with the crumblies one said that in 2014 and 2015 which means Ethan would have been around eight or nine years old, probably. Jennifer and James often left their son home alone and without a phone while frequenting bars in downtown Lake Orion. The neighbor became so concerned that she filed an anonymous complaint via phone to the state's Child Protective Services Agency, but she did not know if any action was taken. And I found a comment online that kind of goes into that a little bit more. It seems like it was the person heard the same interview. They said the major cause of how he turned out is shaped by his negligent parents. Neighbors said the parents would leave their young child at home for 12 hours a day while they were out drinking and partying. They never imposed a bedtime for him and let him decide when he wanted to go to sleep at age five. They let him watch very graphic horror movies with them at a young age. Guns were not properly locked and stored around him. One neighbor would remember him hurting animals as a young child. And the father's ex described both the parents as spoiling Ethan and never disciplining him in any sort of way. The parents likely thought they were good parents, getting him, gifting him what he wanted, but ultimately neglected his emotional needs and never properly parented him and gave him the kind of structure in his life where consequences and rules exist. What they did ensure is that the child had no concept of boundaries, avoided all teaching of social norms, in fact, taught their son the opposite by desensitizing him to violence and pain, ensuring the child lacked any social skills, enabling bad behaviors by not holding him accountable and for externalizing all responsibility for his actions. So I think that was a pretty insightful comment as to how this kind of all came to be. On November 26th, in a Black Friday sale, James Crumbly took Ethan with him while he purchased a new gun. Same day, Ethan posted on his Instagram with a photo of the gun, and the caption said, Just got my new beauty today, Sig Sauer 9mm. Ask any questions, I will answer. Jennifer, the mom, she posted about the same gun a few days later over the weekend. Her caption read, Mom and Sunday testing out his new Christmas present. Very Adam Lanza and his mom of them. Mm. 
Jennifer also took Ethan to a shooting range at some point that weekend. The gun had allegedly been stored in an unlocked safe in Jennifer and James's bedroom. After school resumed following Thanksgiving, one of Ethan's teachers noticed that he had been searching the internet for ammunition. The teacher notified school officials who contacted the parents via phone and email, but they did not respond. Later on Monday, later on Monday, Jennifer Crumbly sent a text message to Ethan saying, LOL, I'm not mad at you. You have to learn not to get caught. Later that night, Ethan recorded two videos on his phone where he spoke about shooting and killing at his school. That info comes from Lieutenant Tim Willis of the Oakland County Sheriff's Office. The following day on Tuesday, a different teacher at Ethan's school found a drawing on his desk that showed a shooting. It alarmed her to the point that she took a photo of it on her cell phone. The illustration showed a semi-automatic handgun pointing at the words, The thoughts won't stop, help me. And it included a drawing of a bullet with the words, Blood everywhere written above it. The words, My life is useless and the world is dead were also written on the drawing. This is like the morning of the shooting that he did all this. So looking back, it's like very eerie. It just made me wonder, was this like a cry for help? Like, did he want someone to stop him? Because I know law enforcement does say that they believe he had planned to do this a bit. So at that point, he would have known he was doing it, I think. He would have known that that was probably going to be the day. Like he would have, even if he wasn't sure of the day, he had the gun ready there. So it could have been the day. So it just made me wonder, like, if his parents were, if his parents were so not around, and maybe he felt like they didn't really care about him, or they just like let him do whatever he wanted. Was this his cry for help, being like, "Does anybody care? Like, hello, like, look at me with my gun and my drawings, being weird and doing, giving off all these red flags. Does anyone care?" He's even like put a. He's written his name and the date on the on the test or whatever it is, the worksheet, and he's even put the time as 8.59am, which seems unusual. You have to wonder if he knew that this wasn't going to be eventually all released. Mm-hmm. And he's even, like, written on there things like, oh, OHS rocks, I love my life so much, with, like, a laughing, crying, smiley face. Like, there was a lot going on on, this, on these two pieces of paper. Yeah, so it's like he either thought, either he was so just, like, twisted that he was, like, oh, I'm going to just draw this really like messed up stuff because I know it's going to be in the news and people are going to be talking about like, wow, look at this stuff you drew that's so like scary and crazy. Or maybe it was just a cry for help. Like he wanted someone to stop him or he wanted to get caught. Like he didn't really want to do it. He just wanted to be like the notoriety of like doing it. I don't know. I just feel like, like, why would he do this? And yeah, it's knowing that he was going to get caught probably. Yeah, exactly. Like there's not, it's not like he was in the bathroom scribbling on this stuff. It was in class on a, on his desk where his teacher would see it and he knew that. So, And then when it seemed like still his his parents at least and maybe some school officials still like didn't care about this like blatant obvious red flag, he was like, well, fuck it. No one gives a fuck. Yeah. It was just something I was thinking about. He also wrote, um, we're all friends here. So school officials were so disturbed by the images by the images that they contacted Ethan's parents to arrange an urgent meeting. Ethan's backpack was not searched during this time. If it had been, officials would have found the gun he stashed in there. Parents arrived at the school and were shown the note. Counselors asked Ethan about his potential to harm himself or others. Based on whatever his answers were, they determined that he was not a risk. His parents agreed with that assessment. Parents are advised that they are required to get him counseling within 48 hours or the school contact Child Protective Services. They refused a request to take their son home for the day and left without him. Apparently, they returned to work. 
the parents said that they didn't want him to like return home to an empty house. I guess that's why they didn't want to um, take him then take him out of school. When really it's like, uh, hello, like I think that your job won't mind if you have to like leave early after your son is doing things Threatening like this. Clearly, things. he needs help. So he returns to the classroom, um, and the superintendent made a note to say that he had no prior discipline disciplinary infractions. So I mean. I guess they had no reason to really believe that he would actually do something like this. The superintendent, Tim Throne, said he was, you know, called up to the office and all that kind of stuff. No discipline was warranted. There are no discipline records at the high school. Very nonchalant. Yeah, I know. Hey, you know. (laughs) All that kind of stuff. (laughs) After Ethan went back to class, it was just three hours before he started to carry out his sick plan and shooting up the school mm-hmm. um the shooting began to make media reports around 1 15 p.m at 1 jennifer texted her son ethan don't do it 1 p.m prosecutors say james crumbly ethan's father called 911 to report a gun was missing from his house and that he believed his son may be the shooter so i know there's also been some debate online about the ethan don't do it text i guess obviously a lot of people assume like he- she was texting him being like, don't do it, don't shoot up the school. But I guess their argument in like her defense team now at this point's argument was saying that she was saying, Ethan, don't do it, as in don't commit suicide after. Yeah. Either way, so. either way, it points to her thinking he had done it. Um, yeah. yeah. Either way, Just, not great. No. But I guess the defense will try to argue that she didn't, that it wasn't her saying, Ethan, don't do a school shooting, because I guess their argument's going to have to be like that they didn't know he would do that. Yeah, they had no idea that he would, or any, you know, yeah, any inkling that that was what his plan was. Yeah. So Ethan was arrested by police without incident, and he was charged as an adult with one count of terrorism, four counts of first-degree murder, seven counts of assault with intent to murder, 12 counts of possession of a firearm in the commission of a felony. Three students died at the time of the shooting. There was Tate Meyer, who was 16, Hannah St. Julian, who was 14, Madison Baldwin, who was 17, and another student named Justin Schilling, who was 17, passed away in the hospital on December 1st. This is a list of other injuries from the shooting. 14-year-old boy suffered unspecified injuries. 14-year-old girl was shot in the chest and neck. A 15-year-old suffered a left leg gunshot wound. A 17-year-old girl was shot in the neck. A 17-year-old girl sustained a gunshot to the chest. A 17-year-old boy was discharged Tuesday after being shot in the hip, and a 47-year-old teacher was shot in her left shoulder. Um, We'll talk more about the victims once we get to a little further along in the episode. In the days following the shooting, there were many copycat threats to other schools nationwide. Since the shooting event, over 20 students in Wayne County, Michigan alone have been charged with making threats. Detroit Police Chief James White said, these are very serious charges and very serious incidents, and we are investigating each and every one of them, and we're going to hold folks accountable. The shooting at Oxford High School spurring numerous copycat threats on social media, forcing district after district to cancel school, and authorities say the threats have been not credible. However, that does not mean there aren't consequences for those behind them. On Thursday, following a threat targeted at Stevenson High School in Sterling Heights, a girl was arrested and is now awaiting charges. Joining us this morning is Sterling Heights Police Chief Dale Wojcikowski, I'm sorry, and Chief, 
This is not a matter you're taking lightly, nor should the parents nor anybody in the community, because this is serious. We're talking about life and death here. Yeah, the obviously after the shooting, we saw a rash of phoned in complaints, people calling us out to their house to take complaints. And the problem becomes trying to investigate all that and sort out what is legitimate and what's not legitimate takes up police resources and time. Uh, the Oakland County Sheriff is obviously inundated um, with that, you know, the, the mass shooting, the investigation, the tragedy. Then on top of that, hundreds of copycat threats. Um, it really does bog down the system um, and it causes problems for law enforcement and the school districts trying to sort out what's legitimate and what's not legitimate. It becomes a logistical nightmare. We'll put in the blog some of the screenshots of schools being closed or canceled because of threats. There was there were so many. I remember like this week vividly because it was just insane. And it was all around the country. It wasn't just in that mm -hmm. area. It was like monkey. Like there's one in here I've put in from Las Vegas. It says my daughter got a bunch of texts telling her there's a student threatening to shoot up the school. I think it's a prank, but I'm wondering if I should keep her home. Like it was everywhere for weeks afterwards. I know one school around me had some too. I don't remember specifically which school, but it was like the same thing where in your head you're like, eh, it's probably nothing, but who wants to take the friggin' risk at this point? Yeah. Very scary. Um, so media outlets started discussing the possibility that Jennifer and James may also be charged on December 2nd. On that day, Oakland County Prosecutor Karen McDonald spoke again of her criticism of crumbly parents, saying their actions went far beyond negligent and that a charging decision would come by Friday. She said the parents were the only individuals in the position to know the access to weapons. The gun seems to have been just freely available to that individual. At the time, many were discussing mis Michigan gun laws. There was no law in place that required parents to keep guns away from their children. Because who thought you would need one? Yeah. And I've seen it written a few different ways in terms of how they stored the gun. But some things I've seen say that they just kept it in an unlocked bedside drawer in their bedroom. Other people say it was in like some other type of gun container in their bedroom, but it was all unlocked either way. Well, now they're arguing that it was locked usually. Mm. Mm. But I don't believe them. No, neither do I. Um, on December 3rd, the Michigan prosecutor fi filed involuntary manslaughter charges against James and Jennifer Crumley. At the time, it was reported that the couple would be formally arraigned on the four charges, each of which carry 15 years in prison if convicted. Karen McDonald, the prosecutor, said, While the shooter was the one who entered the high school and pulled the trigger, there were other individuals who contributed to the events of November 30th, and it is my intention to hold them accountable as well. Gun ownership is a right, and with that right comes great responsibility. This appears to be the first time that parents of a mass shooting suspect have been charged with manslaughter. A prosecutor in Oakland County, Michigan, laying out the case against them today. Listen. It's your duty to make sure that you don't give access to this deadly weapon to somebody that you have reason to believe is going to harm someone. It's impossible not to conclude that there was a reason to believe he was going to hurt somebody. A drawing of a semi-automatic handgun pointing at the words, quote, the thoughts won't stop, help me, end quote. In another section of the note was a drawing of a bullet with the following words above that bullet, quote, blood everywhere, end quote. Between the drawing of the gun and the bullet is a drawing of a person who appears to have been shot twice and bleeding. Below that figure is a drawing of a laughing emoji. Further down the drawing are the words, quote, my life is useless, end quote. And to the night right of that are the words, quote, the world is dead, 
end quote. The world is dead. The prosecutor says the teacher took a photograph of that note and reported it to school officials. She says that's when those officials brought the suspect's parents into school the morning of the shooting. The school gave the parents 48 hours, they tell us, to find him counseling. But then they sent him back to class. The DA says the parents resisted the idea that they should pull him out of school. The notion that a parent could read those words and also know that their son had access to a deadly weapon that they gave him is unconscionable, and, it, and I think it's criminal. I, I, it is criminal. And she says they didn't mention that weapon. After the charges were announced, we waited for Jennifer and James to turn themselves in, and we waited and we waited. And, of course, they couldn't just turn themselves in. So their attorney, Shan Smith, spoke to the media on that day and said they are making their way back here. They will be arraigned. They'll be turned in. They said they're not hiding. They're not running from anywhere. They're not out on they're not out on the lamb. Yeah. What's that mean? So if you're on the lamb, it means you're on the run. Oh. Have you never heard that before? I don't know. I don't hear a lot of things apparently. <laughs> like how she's used it is weird, but usually it's like if you say like Jennifer is on the lamb, I guess that's kind of what she's used it. But yeah, I mean she's on the run. On the run from police. Yeah. Add that to the list of things I can't pronounce or things I've never heard of. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so their attorney was like, they're going to turn themselves in. Just you wait. <laughs> um, so this is a text exchange between the attorney and a detective working on the case. The attorney said, they're terrified because they were expecting me to get info because Karen M. told me she'd get back to me this morning. I do not know where they are, but they assured me they're heading back and will call me so we can get them arraigned. I was in trial all day. Marielle was flying back from a family trip to Florida, so our whole day ended up being phone tag and at least 100 people texting us, blowing up our phones. Marielle, before you go on, so Marielle is the other attorney who's working on this case with Shannon Smith. So, you know, mm. it's, it's a very unprofessional text, but that's who, <laughs> who she's referring to in that. It's very chaotic. Mm. Um, my best guess from talking to them is that I'll be texting you at 7 a.m. tomorrow. I wish the media would chill out on this because it's terrifying on top of a huge, sad, awful case. I'll text you in the AM. I have talked to them by phone several times tonight. The dad's cell phone died and they have no way to charge it. So some of the calling issues were due to that. But we have Jennifer's number and in all capitals, they are coming. <laughs> Imagine just like, <laughs> someone like there's a warrant for someone's arrest and just being like, all right, just hold on. Like they're like, coming. Like, who, who are you? <laughs> I feel like if I found out that this was the way that my attorney was talking to the police, I would <laughs> probably find a new attorney maybe. They probably they love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, what? Like, what? Like, hold on, police. <laughs> and the public needs to just chill out. <laughs> <laughs> They're coming, all right? Just stop it. <laughs> okay. So then Detective Hendrick says back to them, okay, I understand they are scared, but their best bet for a quiet surrender is to contact me. And the attorney said, thank you. I've told them it needs to be ASAP, and they do get it. The detective said, I'm sure you realize the longer they hide, the higher the bond request is going to be. <laughs> and the attorney said, absolutely. I would have brought them in today, but I couldn't get any info fast enough. They initially asked if they could go in Monday a.m., and Mariel and I said no. Today was also insane. Oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> way to make it about yourself. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
their legal representation. It's just going to be a mess, it seems. But anyway, based on this. Yeah. She goes on to tell us about her her hectic day. I'm selling my house and there was an open house today. So my four kids, four dogs and cat were at my office while I was in trial. I'm not normally such a hot mess trying to coordinate things. We will get them in. They wouldn't have paid us what they paid if they planned to run. <laughs> like, also a humble brag at the end. <laughs> like, I know people get mad when we laugh sometimes, but this how is do you not laugh yeah, this at is that? ridiculous. It's just... This attorney ridiculous. is ridiculous. <laughs> <sighs> Turns out that was a big fat lie, and the couple went on the run. They withdrew $4,000 from an ATM and turned their cell phones off. A tipster called 911 on December 3rd and reported to have seen Jennifer's Kia. Police located the vehicle in Detroit later that night and began the search for Jennifer and James. Um, Detroit is about 40 miles from Oxford. So police located the couple in an art studio in Detroit. The studio is owned by, sorry if I mispronounce this, Andreze Sakura. It's spelled A-N-D-R-E-Z-E-J, Sakura. Um, Sakura became friends with Jennifer around five years ago when they both worked at a ski resort together. Many questions if Sakura assisted the Crumbleys in trying to escape. His attorney, Clarence Das, spoke to the media, and they said, For a 65-year-old man who immigrated here in the 1990s only, this is something he never imagined he'd be dealing with. But he has come to terms with the fact that he got roped into this and has, instead of hiding, embraced law enforcement and shared everything he knows with law enforcement. So after news of the shooting hit the news and he saw that, Sakura, he saw it, he texted Jennifer just asking if she was safe and if her kid was safe because he must have just known that they lived in the area and just wanted to make sure they were okay. So he didn't know when he contacted them that they were involved in the shooting. Jennifer called Sakura on the Friday morning and the attorney said she believed charges were going to be coming at some point on Friday, according to her lawyer, and wanted to be somewhere to avoid the press and the publicity that was going to come out of that situation. So she asked if she could stay with her husband at the studio in Detroit for a few hours until they learned of charges. As far as we can tell, he hasn't been charged with anything in relation in relation to the case. Um, I mean, if they're telling the truth, it seems like he was kind of duped into yeah. it. Just he trying seemed, to be... How rude of them. Like, this guy's just trying to be a good friend. He seems kind of a bit naive, maybe. And I guess, you know, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird situation. Doesn't seem like he's been charged as far as we know. No, I saw they did it. They executed a search warrant at his art studio and I'm assuming his house and all that, but as there haven't been any charges related to this filed against him that I can find anyway. Before we get into the rest of the episode, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. In this episode, we've been discussing some of the stigmas around mental health. For example, some people think you should wait until things are unbearable to go to therapy, but that isn't true. Therapy is a tool to utilize before things get worse and it can help you avoid those lows. I know on this podcast, I have definitely mentioned before that I have anxiety. I've always very much struggled with my anxiety to the point where even when I was in college, it was my senior year, I was just about to graduate and my anxiety got so bad that I just, I couldn't even go to class. I finally decided to seek out a therapist and I started going to therapy and I really did learn how to manage my anxiety better. And I still use a lot of the things I learned in therapy to this day. So we've also been taught that mental health shouldn't be part of a normal life, but that's wrong too. We take care of our bodies all the time by going to the gym, the doctor, and with nutrition. We should be focusing on our minds just as much. As I'm a mother, I know how hard it can be to take some time for yourself. There's so much going on with school, work, you know, the house. It's all a constant juggle. It's so important to look after our mental health for our own well-being and for that of our family. 
BetterHelp offers so many flexible ways to connect with a therapist. You can work around your family schedule and speak to someone from the comfort of your own home when it suits you. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's so much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and True Crime Society listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com society. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash society. And use our URL to make sure that they know we sent you. Back to the episode. <laughs> so when Jennifer and James were finally taken into custody, they had $6,600 in cash, more than a dozen credit cards and gift cards and four phones with them. So I guess the story about them, you know, their phone not having a charger seems to be a bit of a lie. We learned some more about their movements following the shooting. Four hours after the shooting at 4.42 p.m. on November 30, Jennifer texted a contact to say that she, quote, needed to sell her horses fast. The Crumbleys then drained their son's bank account, leaving they took out $3,000 and they left him a whole 99 cents. They reportedly checked into a hotel across the street from the police station the next morning. It was only miles away from the courthouse, which is what Karen McDonald, the prosecutor, has said. She said that when they got to the hotel, they deliberated more about selling the horses and they wanted a sum for them of $5,000. They were definitely supposed not to- on the run. <laughs> yeah, definitely not planning to, yeah, to get away. <laughs> they were supposed to turn themselves in on the 3rd of December, but at 9 a.m. on December 2, the prosecutor said $2,000 was removed from their bank account. She said text messages and testimony will reveal that the Crumbleys expected to be criminally charged the next day. And she also said that they left the hotel at 9.30 a.m. on the 3rd of December and they left one of their cars behind in the parking lot. Jennifer finished the sale of the horses via text at around 10 a.m. and they also took out another $4,000. So I'm guessing that, you know, some of these machines and places probably had limits on how much they could take oh, out yeah. at a time. So maybe I feel like ex- some of them are definitely $5,000. Yeah. So maybe that explains why they just did, you know, a whole bunch of random withdrawals. And some, sometimes the banks like only let you take out like a certain amount. That's what it is. I think it's like a certain amount from the ATM a day, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It depends. Like, I think you can also set your limit as well. Like, yeah, so I'm guessing it just took them a while to get all the money out. And they didn't want to go into the bank because. Yeah, that would be too obvious. Uh-huh. Jennifer also got in touch with Sequoia, who we spoke about earlier, and told him that they needed a place to sit. So, whatever that means. Um, James and Jennifer were taken to the same jail where Ethan was housed. Um, and we also, I've also learned since then that they put some of their belongings into storage. So they really were definitely preparing to go on the run. If you're going to go to jail, it just seems weird that they, I don't know. Well, I wonder, I would like to know what they put into storage. I get like wanting to get your shit in order. If you know, you're going to jail, like me, that's why they wanted to like sell the horses or whatever, but that doesn't explain why they were taking out all this money. Yeah. Yeah. It's very strange. So anyway, they went to jail. During their hearing on December 5, they both cried. They both pled not guilty to involuntary manslaughter. Bond for each of them was set at $500,000 cash surety surety with no 10% option. James shook his head when the prosecutor said their son had full access to the gun used in the killings. James, Jennifer, and Ethan were all separately placed in isolation on suicide watch. We don't even know if Ethan knew his parents were arrested at the time. The police have come out and said that this isn't something they would have told them and the parents obviously weren't in contact. So unless someone else got in touch with him and let him know, he might not have even known that that was happening. 
He must know now, I'm guessing. Well, you'd think so. Um, On December 7, it was announced that Ethan and his parents were basically estranged. They retained their own attorneys, but they refused to pay for any legal representation for Ethan. The parents are still to this day represented by the lawyers that we mentioned earlier, that's Shannon Smith and Marielle Lehman. Ethan was assigned a court-appointed attorney. Her name is Paulette Michelle Lofton. A criminal defense attorney named Bill Swore spoke and said that Jennifer and James likely can't afford to cover the costs of Ethan's trial, especially considering they are facing up to 15 years in prison each if they are found guilty. He said, in some ways, the parents have got a harder case than the kids. They're adults, he's a child, and the father bought the gun. The mother made the social media postings and public officials made very public statements that are very prejudicial. So Ethan has also been appointed a guardian by the court. Um, I'm guessing, you know, he's still a minor. He no one to care for him anymore, so they've given him a guardian. It kind of just seems just that all specifically seems to just mirror like how their life probably was. Like I get why they're not paying for an attorney for him and stuff. Cause I mean, maybe even the defense attorney's like, don't do that because it'll show that you like show guilt or something or are yeah. protecting him or something. But still, it's just like your kid's fucked up because of, not fully because of you, maybe, but like you Mostly. didn't do a anything lot, to help him. Yeah, exactly. And now you're just gonna like leave him out to dry. <laughs> and you know, like what he, I am not condoning at all what he did. What he did was horrendous and horrible. But yeah, imagine I don't know being 15 and abandoned by your whole entire family. But yeah, like know. I'm being very careful about what I say because yeah, I know, I'm scared I know people of people like, like coming <laughs> after me. Unfortunately, yeah. But yeah, like it just seems shitty and kind of goes along with like what that comment before that i read said how they just kind of set up no like boundaries for him he never learned any consequences he never learned like any social norms obviously not saying it's all the parents fault but it's like damn yeah he was still he's well he is still a child you know he's their responsibility yeah and they never see it's the same with like um how with adam lands and his mom in a way Obviously, it's not all the mom's fault, but you see all these red flags and you don't do anything to help your kid. Like, you don't get them, you don't bring them to therapy. You don't, like, get them some sort of help or try to, like, figure out what the issue is. Like, clearly, from what's come out, he was depressed in some way, had some sort of mental illness, and I don't think he was all that secretive about it. And it seems like they just kind of ignored it. And obviously, some of these, like, cries for help, it seems like he made just being ignored by your parents is just going to make him feel worse and kind of act out more. Even that text that she said, you know, LOL, don't don't get caught or, yeah. or when he was Yeah, they were clearly aware that there was things going on and they almost encouraged his behavior to a point. It seems like they were really trying to be like the cool parents, like the yeah. let your yeah. kid do whatever you want parents, but Backfired. not not always great. No. So on December 9, survivors of the shooting lodged a $100 million lawsuit. This info comes from the Detroit News. It says the case filed by sisters Riley Franz and Bella Franz marked the start of what is expected to be a flurry of lawsuits. The lawsuit accuses school officials of failing to stop an attack that inflicted physical and psychological injuries on students and spreads the blame amongst Oxford High School officials as well as unidentified teachers and counsellors. At least I am going to do something. Here are the lawsuits attorney Jeffrey Figer announced he filed in state and federal court on behalf of two students high school senior Riley Franz, who was shot in the neck during the mass shooting last week at Oxford High, and her freshman sister, Bella, who witnessed it. The suit says Oxford school leaders received complaints about Ethan Crumbly's posts on social media. Teachers and counselors saw his concerning drawings and failed to protect other students. They allowed a deranged 
homicidal student to return to class with a gun in his backpack, with over 30 rounds of ammo in his backpack, when they knew he was a homicidal threat. He had told them as much. He had written as much. He had drawn pictures of his plan, and he was allowed to carry it out. The girl's lawyer is a man named Jeffrey Feiger, or Feiger. It says that he wrote a statement saying, the horror of November 30 was entirely preventable. He also said that there was a second $100 million lawsuit coming, but he didn't give any details at the time. Interestingly, this attorney also represented the family of Isaiah Scholes, who was killed in the Columbine High School shooting. Um, the lawyer has said that this event had many similarities to, you know, Columbine and Oxford had many similarities. A judge eventually ordered Scholl's family to accept a $366,000 settlement in the suit against the gunman's families. Jeffrey Feger has said that Michigan's um, governmental immunity laws make it difficult to sue school districts, which may be something that kind of comes into play as this all goes on. Mm -hmm. um, Timothy Mullins, who's an attorney for the Oxford School District, sent Jeffrey Feger a letter saying that he de demanding that he retract allegations in the lawsuit and that one of the people who he named in the lawsuit actually hasn't worked for the Oxford School District for over a year. He said, in this type of misrepresentation that has resulted in school employees receiving death threats, I insist you publicly retract this lie and apologise. There's also been some rumours kind of going around that people in the Oxford School District have been destroying evidence, so I'm guessing, you know, records in relation to things that Ethan had done and complaints and threats and different things like that. Timothy mm -hmm. Mullins has said, it's a lie, it's disgusting. People think that the school district is withholding information. Everything that we have is given, has been given to the prosecutor. Everything they want, we have given to them. So you, as this goes on, you'll, you'll see that a lot of the kind of back and forth is now between people who are alleging things against the school district. Um, you know, it's, obviously this is a very fresh case, so it'll be interesting to see what does come out. But I'll put a clip of it here. Um, but I was listening to um, an interview from some news station that they did with a civil rights attorney um, and he kind of talks about like charges that the school could potentially face and things like that and he's better at explaining all the legal stuff than I am so I'll put a clip of that here okay let's turn to David Henderson civil rights attorney CNBC contributor man alive the first there's first there's the note then there's the lack of the mention of the gun Oakland County Prosecutor Karen McDonald said today that gun ownership is a right, and with that comes great responsibility. Does it also come with legal responsibility if those charged didn't fire the gun? Well, Shep, in this case, the answer is yes. And I got to be honest with you, this is the first time I've seen charges quite like this. Typically, when you think of manslaughter, you think of an unintentional killing that's connected to criminal activity. For example, someone drinks and drives and kills someone, you can get charged with manslaughter. But under Michigan law, you can be charged with manslaughter. It's called lawful act manslaughter when you didn't engage in criminal activity, but your conduct was found to be grossly negligent, meaning you showed a lack of disregard, a reckless disregard for human life. They bought him the gun. They showed pictures of the gun. At school, he wrote the note. They knew about the note, didn't say anything about the gun. What is there there criminally? I mean, or does that just add to a list of things that make you go nuts? Well, Shep, there's nothing there that's criminal. She's going to have to argue at trial that that shows gross negligence, mm. i.e. a reckless disregard for human life. That's going to be a difficult case to make. 
But if you watch that press conference, she knows it's a difficult case to make and she's choosing to move forward anyway. And what about the school officials? They saw the note and the search for the ammo in class. They, they didn't call the cops and they sent the student back to class. What's their legal exposure? Now, you know what, Shep? She left that open. It wasn't clear because she didn't divulge everything she knows about this case or what her full intentions are. But based on what you just pointed out, if you look at the circumstances that led to the parents being charged, it's hard to imagine the world where at least some of these school officials don't face some level of prosecution. But again, it's going to be very difficult to make these cases in court. All right. So this case seemed to move fairly quickly, like the shooting happened on November 30. By mid-December, Jennifer and James were in court again. Obviously, they weren't allowed to have contact with each other, but in the court, James mouthed to Jennifer, I love you, which is, you know, cringy. I love you, but fuck our son. (laughs) On December 23rd, we got a little bit more insight into the Crumbly family. As as his brother said in the article that we mentioned earlier, Ethan's dog Tank had died. And Jennifer had also been having some extramarital affairs. There's discussion as if it was more than one affair. Anyway, there was at least one. So, Um, An article from the Detroit Free Press said, the defendants had information long before the November shooting that their son's only friend had moved away, that the family dog died, that their son was sadder than usual, and that he was sending his mother disturbing texts about his state of mind. Instead of paying attention to their son and getting him, getting him help, they bought him a gun. The Karen McDonald, who we've spoken about a lot, she also said at this time that Ethan was, quote, torturing animals and even kept a baby bird's head in a jar on his bedroom floor, which he later took and placed in a school bathroom. But she continued on, the parents were focusing on their own issues, things like extramarital affairs, financial issues and substance abuse. The couple were also away from the house three or four nights a week, um, caring for horses at their nearby barn. The prosecutor also wrote in this filing that Jennifer had told her boyfriend on the day of the shooting that the alleged murder weapon had been in her car. They looked at Jennifer's phone and they found um, explicit images and videos and evidence of at least one affair. So there was a lot going on for this family, yeah. So much of it reminds me of Adam Lanza and his mom because even with Adam Lanza was showing all these mental health issues, like he at one point went to a therapist, his mom had him stop going, had him stop taking his medication. And then she didn't specifically buy him guns, but had many guns in the house and would take Adam shooting with her to shooting ranges and said something along the lines of like, guns are to protect like small or weak people like us and like taught him that. Just crazy. I can't even ever imagine thinking as a parent that that was, you know, people will probably come at me for that. Literally turning them into (laughs) monsters though. Like, no, I agree. It's just like, wild so that seems to be kind of it for now as of the 20th of january for jennifer and james's kind of court appearances they are due in court again on february 8 i believe for a preliminary hearing so ethan appeared in court again on january 7 this year he waived his right to preliminary investigation he during that session he signed a waiver form read it with his attorneys and said that he understood he was giving up his right to challenge the case The judge said that Ethan's waiver meant his case would be bound over to a circuit court judge for future proceedings. Um, This info is from Law and Crime. It says that he remains in, Ethan remains in that Oakland County Jail, which is an adult facility, at the request of prosecutors. The defense attorneys for Ethan have sought to move him to the Oakland County Children's Village, which is like a juvenile facility. His guardian argued, like, for that case, that Ethan would at least be in school at the village. 
and that basically they've said that, you know, that probably wouldn't happen given that he's killed four people. Yeah, he, he lost his, his school privileges. Yeah, and his defence attorney, Paulette Lofton, which I just think this is so ballsy and so, oh, God, I can't believe she did this, said that the school shooting was just one isolated incident. Aren't they all? <laughs> like- <laughs> and then she said, I honestly do not believe that my client should be considered a menace to other juveniles. Oh. So just forget the fact that he's shot 30 people, however many ended up being you know injured and killed. But definitely not an, not a menace to other kids. He got out of the system now. It's fine. I just like I, I. It always blows my mind that they think they can get away with claims like that. Yeah. Anyway. Oh. Um. So during this court proceeding, we also learned some more about Ethan's past. In March 2021, he sent his mother multiple texts describing a demon or ghosts in the house. Jennifer sometimes wouldn't reply or would take hours to reply. He also wrote several times about demons in his journal. He bought a Nazi coin on Amazon that he put up in his room and he drew Nazi symbols in a notebook shared by all members of the family. So I've read this notebook they kind of use as like a grocery list or a to-do list and so he was drawing that. see it. Yeah, so it's not like something that was hidden in his room. It was so again, that he's like screaming for help or like attention yeah. and being like, hello. Yeah, and, they and they're just, just like, ignored it. Mm, that's fine. There's also actually a video online. I don't really think it'll we'll put the footage in. I'll put it on the blog, but it's just basically of him because it's just there's no real sound. It's just of him making a Molotov cocktail in the backyard. So he does it and he throws it. It's not. It's like, yeah, it's nothing. Like it's crazy, obviously, but it's nothing enormous or huge or anything like that. So, yeah. Um, he often searched school shootings and firearms on his phone, and he did that so much that he received spam advertisements regarding his mental health and well-being. In August 2021, so just a few months before the shootings, he sent a video of himself holding his father's loaded pistol. He sent it along with a message to his friend saying, it's time to shoot up the school, joking, 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 which, yeah, that didn't age well. Yeah. Um, The $100 million lawsuit that we spoke about earlier was also revised at this point and new information added. They added 11 new counts against school officials. And in the um, kind of revised thing, they talk about how he bought the bird to school, the bird's head. It said he bought a bird's head to school in a mason jar filled with yellow liquid, which I'm assuming maybe urine. But yeah, he was, he was never bullied. <laughs> and left it on top of a toilet paper dispenser in the boys' bathroom. School officials knew Ethan had done this, the suit states, but told students and parents there were nothing, nothing to worry about. He also showed up with ammo, apparently. On the day before the shooting, Ethan bought bullets to class and had them out on full display. Um, there is also kind of online comments that I've read about someone dumped a deer's head in the school. Um, we won't go too much into that because the school have said they know who did that and it's not related to Ethan, which just, there's a lot going on at this school. Yeah. <laughs> so even though they knew kind of Ethan was displaying these unusual and troubling behaviours, the suit alleges that the superintendent sent emails to parents reassuring them that their children were safe and they discussed parents and sorry, discouraged parents and students from reporting, sharing or discussing threatening social media posts. They also went over the school's intercom and warned students to stop spreading information over social media. So Ethan appeared in court on January 12 where he pled not guilty. His felony, as we said, felony case now goes to the Oakland County Circuit Court. Um, He had the option to enter a different plea, but he didn't. There was also a very brief court hearing held just the other day, which was January 18. I believe the purpose of this was to kind of decide if Ethan would be moved to a child facility instead of the adult jail where he's being held. 
This info is from Fox 2 Detroit. It said, During the very brief hearing, the judge in the case said that the hearing would be set for February 22 and that both the defence and prosecution are to provide briefs to the court regarding whether either side consents to allowing media coverage of sensitive information in the case, which will be due on January 25. So both cases, both sides of the case agreed and court was adjourned. So in response to all the information that has since come out about the bird's head and the ammunition and all that type of thing, Tim Throne, the Oxford Schools superintendent, released a really long statement. I'll put it on the blog. Um, I won't read the whole thing, but it, it does go into information about the deer head incident. It says it was no way related to the perpetrator of the November 30th event. They say about the bird's head, on November 11, the head of a bird was found in a jar in a student restroom. It was brought to the attention of and investigated by law enforcement. In addition to school personnel reviewing video footage and interviewing several students, law enforcement investigated the bird head before November 30 and determined there was no threat to the high school. They were unable to determine when or how the jar was delivered. No threat or other content accompanied the strange act. Um, And they also totally deny that Ethan ever brought ammunition to school. Allegations regarding live ammunition being discovered at the school are completely false. We have no record or report of live ammunition ever being reported at any school, and we have strict protocols and procedures in place when it comes to that. Um, So it just goes on, basically. It's just their response to all the um, allegations in the lawsuit. says, we have always taken threats very seriously and will continue to listen to students and parents who report threats to the district. In reminding everyone to say to say something if you see something, we are in no way suggesting that our community has ever hesitated to do so in the past. So it says, we look forward to our return to school next week and we look forward to letting the truth and the facts prevail through the course of the criminal investigation and any subsequent legal process. As a community, we will get through this with love and grace for one another. So that's kind of the up-to-date um, legal process and happenings in the Ethan Crumbly school shooting case. Obviously, this is going to keep going on this year. So we'll update the blog and maybe do another update episode as things progress. Mm-hmm. But as of January 20, that is it for now. For now. For now. Um, and so I know in terms of these cases, we always get messages when things happen and they always say we shouldn't speak about the criminal. We just need to focus on the victims. And I totally get that. Like I get that that is what many people want to but- do. I also yeah. hate that because, like, look how many points we've brought up just about mental health and, like, things to look for and maybe reasons, like, why he could have done this and how it could be prevented in the future. So I get the whole – this is, like, a trigger for me. It annoys the fuck out of me when people are like, <laughs> don't say his name or share his picture. It's like, it's the news, people. Hello? Like, I get I yeah. get the idea behind it, and it's a nice idea to not give make this person, like, famous. But I think it's something that – is good to know for to try to prevent it in the future. Exactly. If we keep sweeping all these things under the mat and don't address the issues, they're going to keep happening. And I'll just continue to stigmatize like mental health and things like this by being like, don't talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I get the sentiment, but, but we're going to talk about the victims too. So. Yeah. So this next section of the podcast will speak about the four victims who lost their lives. A lot of the information is from NPR.org. So Madison Baldwin lost her life. She was 17 at the time and her family said she was, quote, light of so many people. She had just transferred to start at Oxford High School in the same year that she passed away. I think it's her cousin Tara Baldwin spoke to the media and said that she was very artsy, very smart, very intelligent, who was going very far in this world. 
Her family also told a local news station that she was expected to graduate this year and had already been accepted to several schools, some with full scholarships. They said Madison loved to draw, read and write. A second victim of the shooting was Tate Meyer. Tate was 16 at the time. He was a linebacker and a tight end on the Oxford football team. He has was been on varsity since his freshman year and was an honor student. His football team shared their loss on Twitter and they wrote, Tate was a great young man with a bright future and was beloved all. Always will be a beaming light for Oxford. It's hard to put into words what he meant for me, but he will hold a special place in my heart forever. That was from the team's coach, Zach Lyon. He also wrote, God reaches down and touches certain people. He was one of those people. There are some posts online that said Tate actually confronted Ethan and attempted to disarm him and he also saved many other students by doing this. We, we didn't quit. We came back. We grinded. Worked every day. We had trust each other. We all love each other. 16-year-old Tate Muir died on the way to the hospital. Tate was honestly one of the best people I've been privileged to know in my life. Senior Austin Witt played football with Muir. He was always happy, cracking jokes. He was, he was honestly the heart and soul of our team and probably our community. He's a true hero and my thoughts and prayers go out to his family. Mir was one of the four teenagers killed on Tuesday. There's an online petition that wants the school's football stadium to be renamed after Tate. It says, Tate is not just a hero to his fellow students at Oxford, but a legend. His acts of bravery should be remembered forever and passed down through the generations. He put his life in danger to try and help the thousands of other students at Oxford High School. Oh, that would be nice. Yeah, that's a nice way to remember him, I think. Hopefully they can get that through. So the youngest victim of the shooting was Hannah St. Juliana. She's 14. She was considered a, quote, beloved member of her school's volleyball and basketball teams. Her basketball team wrote a message online. They said, we will never forget your kind heart, sleep personality, and passion for the game. Since sixth grade camp, you have stayed dedicated to Oxford basketball soaking in the game. This season we play for you, Hannah. A close family friend of Hannah's told WXYZ that Hannah loved to babysit and be around kids and that she loved traditions with her family and friends that revolved around food. She was kind and genuine to her core, said Jennifer Curtis, who's a family friend. So Justin Schleen was the the teen who died at hospital following the shootings. He was 17 at the time. He was co-captain of the school's bowling team. In his free time, he worked at a local restaurant called Anita's Kitchen. The restaurant wrote in a post on social media and said Justin was an exemplary employee, a devoted friend, a co-worker, a co-captain of his bowling team, and simply a pleasure to be around. Interesting, because they said Ethan Ethan was on the bowling team at middle school. They only would have been two years apart. I wonder if they knew each other. Yeah. Like if they were on the team together. I wonder also if any of them were targeted or if it was just like wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, like I find it interesting that the two sisters that we mentioned in the lawsuit, even though they didn't pass away, they were both injured. I guess that seems like kind of a wrong place coming out of the bathroom at the wrong time, but yeah, it's hard to know. Oh, do you want to talk about the video quickly? Just oh yeah. Um, and there was one thing that we wanted to bring up. Um, we didn't talk about it in the story because turns out it was fake news, but um, just because I didn't even know this until Olivia told me. But there was a video that came out at the time um maybe i'll put a clip of it in maybe not because it's a little upsetting to hear how scared all the kids are but at f- early on there i'll start with what the video is 
all the kids are hiding in the classroom and one of them is recording and there's a knock on the door and the person's like, it's police, like open the door or whatever. And, you know, like we all learn this in active shooter training, like don't just open the door because it might not be the police officer. So the teacher was very smart and I thought they, I couldn't really hear exactly what they were saying, but like asked, said that they weren't going to just open the door. And then the police officer kind of gave him an attitude and said, he said the word bro, which is when all the students were like, he said bro, he said bro. And they all panicked because they thought it was the shooter and jumped out the window and ran outside. Um, I think I think so, the actual words he used was like, come on, bro. Um, yeah, yeah, like, come like, on, bro, like open yeah. the door or like something like that. Um, I'll put the clip of that part in just so you could hear what he's saying. Yes. Yeah, he said it's safe to come out. Now, we're not willing to take that risk right now. I can't hear you. We're not taking that risk right now. Okay, well, come to the door and look at my bag, bro. No. Yeah, bro. He said, no. he said bro. He said bro. Red flag. <laughs> and then all the kids immediately thought bro was a red flag, which I agree. Like, what officer what? investigating, like, an active shooting is like, come on, bro. Yeah. Um, so time, everyone thought yeah. that that was Ethan pretending to be an officer, try to get into the room, but it was confirmed that it was actually a police officer. <laughs> the sheriff spoke about it afterwards. He said, we've now been able to determine that was not the suspect. More than likely, it was one of our plainclothes detectives, and he may have been talking in a conversational manner to try to bring them down from the crisis to say, quote, come on, bro, let's get out of the classroom. Let's get you outside. <laughs> That sounds really stupid. I feel like after that, there'll be some training review about the language that you should be using. I was like, I'm, I'm glad you tried to make an excuse, but it was yeah. not the best one. Like, I know you're all terrified, but come on, bro. Let's get out of here. The kids were smart, though. As soon as you said bro, they're like, we're out of here. Yeah. Yeah. So good for them, because you never know. One other thing that we didn't go into a lot as well, because otherwise we'll be here all day, is talking about the social media posts of especially Ethan's parents. Um, we do have screenshots of all of it. I'll pop it up on the blog so you can check it out. But, for example, James Crumbly wrote, like there's a comment about someone wrote, and he wrote, the person wrote, payback is coming, dear parents. And he wrote, knowing Ethan, it will come back sooner than later. And that was three years ago. And then he also, he's he's quite, which I'll, another reason why we don't get into it, but he does a lot of political posts, so does Jennifer, um, and talks about how he wants his child to have a gun. And, you know, there's all these things that have kind of come back to haunt them essentially in the end. Yeah, not a great look. No. But anyway, if you want to check out all this social media, it's mostly all been taken down now, but thankfully we did get screenshots of it all. So it's all there, ready to go. Yeah. I think we kind of talked about our, our thoughts on a lot of it as we went through, so I don't really have any conversation points for this i mean i said what i feel like ethan was like screaming out for help for a long time he felt like his parents didn't care about him and got more and more extreme and they continued to ignore him and finally acted out like well if drawing the if drawing swastikas on the grocery list isn't going to get them to notice me maybe this will yeah and it's a very hot topic like anytime we've ever posted about this there's a lot of debate about you know if the parents should have been charged um I think as more and more yeah. comes out there's definitely you know means to charge them for some things related to this diff, to this you know incident because they were definitely at least negligent in some ways yeah I agree I agree that they should be charged I mean 
I'm not going to get into like anytime I post about anything this, it turns into a massive <laughs> gun debate, gun rights, USA. I'm not going to like get into all that. I really don't want to fight with people about it. But I do agree that the parents were negligent in many ways and kind of should have looked for help for their son or paid attention to him and seen the signs. Yeah. And that has nothing to do with like gun rights. Like, I don't think they should have given their child who clearly has some sort of mental illness and was struggling access to a gun. But it would be interesting to see if there's any reform to Michigan, even like just gun storage laws and different things like that, because there was nothing. Essentially, they didn't break any of those laws, it seems. They were in their rights to keep the gun, you know, in reach of Ethan. So it'll be interesting to see if anything comes from that. Yeah, I just agree with kind of what the um, the prosecutor says, like, it's a right to have a gun, but it also comes with a lot of responsibility. <laughs> and they were not responsible. That's all I'll say on it. <laughs> Please don't message me mean and crazy things because I'll, it'll hurt my feelings and I'll cry and I'll stop looking at all the messages altogether. <laughs> Everyone gets punished. <laughs> all right. Mm-hmm. That's it, I think. That's it. That's it. All right. So, like... We always say everything will be up on the blog. We'll put the videos, clips, pictures, social media screenshots, uh, the statements that we didn't read in full. We'll put them all on the blog at truecrimesocietyblog.com. Follow us on Instagram because that's where we always post the latest updates and kind of just are more casual on there. We kind of chat with everyone a bit more. We go through all of our messages. So it is, um, I guess you could say, a fun place to be for true crime at least. We have our forum if you want to ever post about some crimes anonymously. If not, if posting's not your thing, it's a great place to read some rabbit holes. Check that out at truecrimesociety.com and leave us a review if you haven't yet. On Apple, you can leave us a five-star review. You can write us a nice little note because it's always nice to see them. Like today, I was having like a really shitty day at work and then Olivia sent me some nice reviews that people mm-hmm. wrote and it made me just feel much better. Mm-hmm much nicer than waking up to a (laughs) really mean review yeah that always ruins my day (laughs) and you can also leave us a rating on spotify now they're just stars which is great so if you listen on spotify leave us five stars please and oh yeah and post it to your instagram because that's always great great way to spread the word free way to support us and helps get the word out and maybe we'll get some more listeners that way Anything else? Did I miss anything? I think that's it. We will be back next week with another episode. Do we want to say what it's on? Is it a secret? Um, Let's just leave it. Let's leave it a secret for now. It's a secret. (laughs) Just in case something else happens. But it's it's, it's a good episode. We've been working on it for a while. So it should be a good one, hopefully. It's a secret. So (laughs) for now. (laughs) So if you you go to, or if you follow us on Instagram, we'll reveal it. When the time is closer. (laughs) Yeah, just in case. We like to just wait and see because things happen so quickly in the true crime world. We just have to wait and see. Keep you on your toes. Yeah. All right. Well, we will chat with everyone next week then. Have a good week. Bye. Yeah.